Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Gleeman Radio's Return to the Wheel of Time podcast. Today, we're continuing on with our double drop of Shadar Logoth with Chapter 20, Dust on the Wind. Oh, this chapter is good. We get another POV for, for a few pages, I, I guess. And we get Mashadar, and we get people running in all directions doing stupid shit. And, uh, you know, we meet MVP, Bale Doman, right? So let's just, let's get into it. Balsamon, you're up. And uh, make sure you do better than the goddamn Patreon commercial. You give me that tone just because I'm not down with your Patreon. Lehman, you had no tears at all for Friends of the Dark. Can you expect me to support your scamming of your listeners? It's it's not scamming. It's it's them choosing to support me if they wish to. But you just would you know what? Let's just get into it. Let's get into it. It's been a long day. Let's just let's go with the spoiler warning. Can you can you do that? Can you even do that? Let's yeah. Yeah, I can do a spoiler warning. It's called Read the Fucking Books because the content creator thinks he knows everything. You know what? I'm out of here. Yeah, I no. Stop. Wait, Done. please. I don't give a shit. Thanks for using the F word on the podcast for the first time. Better than you than me. I don't know. My grandma might listen to this one day. I, just, I don't exactly want to go that far on the podcast if I don't have to, but thanks. Thanks. I guess... I guess... I guess two in a row. It's a little too much for him. And I'm going to be honest, that Patreon commercial was a debacle of massive proportions. It, it did not go well. So I'm just going to explain it to you at the end of this podcast. I figure, hey, dump it into a double podcast release on it one day, right? At least they're getting more content. And that's just going to take a couple minutes at the end. So it, yeah, don't worry about it. Last time... Uh, was just a little bit ago. So, yeah, they got into Shadar Logoth. They decided to explore. There was Mordeth. It was awful. They learned about Shadar Logoth. They were just so dumb. It was a great chapter, but they were so dumb. Oh, God. Uh, I'm just going to put in the clip of the day. I want to listen to some Bale Domon and make myself feel better. I know it should probably be some Mashadar attacking Trollocs and Merge All. That was a really good scene of that in here. Or maybe the fact that this is the first uh, chapter in the series where we get a different POV than Ran so far. It's not even the whole chapter. It's just a few pages. But Perrin gets some light to shine. But no, I want to listen to some Domon. And I want to listen to him right now. You cannot hide from me on my own ship. Get Flor and Gelb out here. A crewman appeared with a bullseye lantern, and two more pushed a narrow-faced man into the circle of lighted cast. Rand recognized the fellow who had offered him the boat. The man's eye shifted from side to side, never meeting those of the stocky man. The captain, Rand thought. A bruise was coming up on Gelb's forehead where one of Rand's boots had caught him. Were you not supposed to secure this boom, Gelb? The captain asked with surprising calm, though just as fast as before. Gelb looked truly surprised. But I did. Tied it down tight. I admit I'm a little slow about things now and then, Captain Doman. But I get them done. So you be slow, do you? No so slow at sleeping. Sleeping when you should be standing watch. We could be murdered to a man for all of you. No, Captain, no. 
It was him. Gub pointed straight at Rand. I was on guard, just like I was supposed to be, when he sneaked up and hit me with a club. He raised the bruise on his head, winced, and glared at Rand. I fought him, but then the Trollocs came. He's in league with them, Captain. A dark friend. In league with the Trollocs. In league with my aged grandmother, Captain Doman roared. Did I not warn you the last time, Gelb? At Whitebridge? Off you do go. Get out of my sight before I put you off now. Ah, uh, uh, so... Uh, somebody, uh, an idiot, to be sure, uh, intended a double drop on Monday, uh, recorded one, forgot how long it takes to render, so then had to wait, like, an hour before he could post the podcast, and then he had to wait for the podcast to post because there has been a time that he recorded a podcast while uploading a podcast, and, uh, huh, it didn't go well. Uh, the whole computer kind of freaked out at doing both those large things at once. Uh, so he had to wait for the video to upload. And then he tried to do a Patreon commercial, and that didn't work. Uh, you could tell from the opening. Uh, luckily I got to keep my opening from episode 21's failed recording. Uh, yeah, so I got all the way through, ended it, rendered it, and clicked on it just to listen to it as I do every time to check and I, the audio was just I have no idea what happened so very frustrated I decide you know what I'm gonna go to bed and deal with it in the morning I don't I don't I don't even care anymore I put it down in the planner and I went to sleep but uh, the next day I guess I blocked out that I had to re-record it and I didn't and then Wednesday comes along, and I open my uh, Eye of the World novel. I'm ready to take notes on chapter 21, Listen to the Wind. We finally get a naive chapter. Hooray! And I realized I forgot to re-record chapter 20. My bad. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I'm so sorry. I will do that right now. Literally, I realized it double-checked and went, oh my god, and then I'm recording now. So, I am very sorry. Uh, let's just get right into the chapter breakdown and get through this thing, shall we? Yeah. Alrighty then, straight into the chapter breakdown. So, the gang start off immediately exiting the White Stone building because <laughs> they need to get out of Shadow Logoth, okay? Not only did they have an encounter with Mordeth, but there's Trollocs and Murdral in the city, so they gotta go, because they're coming right for them. And uh, I like the description of the wind moaning across the rooftops. It's just creepy enough for the City of Shadows, you know what I mean? And uh, everyone but Lan and Moraine were showing signs of fear, which is very understandable, considering the circumstances. Hell, even the horses are continually shifting nervously because, you know, they're sensing things that the humans aren't. Uh, Lan quietly tells them to keep close, and he heads off leading the way. But for some reason that I can't entirely understand, other than plot, uh, the Tom Marilyn and the rest of the Edmonds fielders are very nervous and riding slowly and not keeping up with the water and Aes Sedai, and they form this kind of silent, slow-moving knot around Rand, 
which, like, okay, I figured they'd feel safer right on, you know, Landon Moraine's ass, but whatever, I guess there's a Tiberian tug here, so, <laughs> that just, I can't decide if that sounds dirty or like a dance you'd maybe hear about in the Wheel of Time. And Randix isn't even paying attention to this either, you know? He's not noticing how far away they're getting because he's looking for danger, you know? First, he's busy being relieved, like, oh, thank God, the eyes of those watchers are gone. That is, it was horrible. I mean, wait, why are the eyes gone? And he's looking around the buildings and noticing that the shadows in the upper stories of the buildings make it look like eyes and that the shadows inside the eyes seem to be moving. It's all creepy and uncomfortable and it's wonderful. I love it. It very sets up atmosphere and, you know, it's nice and creepy. I don't, we don't get enough Shatter Logoth creepy in these books, in my opinion. Usually it's Balsamon creepy. And uh, I think Shatter Logoth is creepier to be completely... <laughs> completely truthful with you people so when he does notice Maureen and the warder are each like 30 yards ahead of him and he's like oh crap I really need to pick up the pace here we are all falling behind and just as he raises cloud to a canter he notices a tendril of smoke a tendril of mist flowing in between them and the eyes that eye and he's kind of approaching it going oh i wonder what that is it doesn't look normal and moraine immediately shouts for them to stop you know she approaches the fog and she doesn't get too close especially since the horses seem afraid to get too near of it and uh she starts to examine it and soon it's as wide as an arm and then as thick as a leg and it's slowly growing bigger and brighter and glowing faintly like moonlight. And at this point, I'm like, wow, for some reason, I thought Machadar was gross. But this sounds really cool and really creepy. Um, and Nynaeve's like, what is it? And Moraine's, it's like, it's it's the very evil of Shatter Loken itself. It's Machadar. And it's unthinking, unfeeling, and it roams the city as mindlessly as a worm burrows through the earth. But it can sense food, and if Mashadar Mosh touches you, you die. So don't be dumb and keep your distance. And Egwene is, like, freaked out, and she doesn't want to be separated from her new super wizard mentor. And she's like, can you clear away or destroy it? Because I really kind of want to stick with you. And Maureen's just, <laughs> she lets out a little bitter laugh. She's like, yeah, no way. Not all the Aes Sedai in Tarvalin could kill it if they tried. Probably not even really hurt it that much. And she's like, even if I do try, one or two things will happen. First, using that much power would draw the Murdral to us like moths to a flame. Uh, I can't believe I have moths to a flame in my notes. I hate that expression. And I didn't hate it until I moved here. Um... They're, they're everywhere at this time of year. The moths, uh, I think, uh, I have family that calls them millers or something like that. Oh, they're awful. Some, and they get into the house, and you don't even know how. So you're, like, in bed, like, with your phone out, and you're like, maybe I'll check out this one last YouTube video, or maybe I'll check this one last Twitter thing out. Or... And then all of a sudden, the light on your face is being interrupted because moths are flying right into your eye. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's the only light in the room, and they go straight for my face. <sighs> okay, there was a tangent. I'm sorry. I was just like, why did I put that in my notes? I hate that expression. Uh, 
So using that much of the power would draw the Murdral to them like a horn sounding. I think that's actually what Moraine says, like the trumpeting of a horn. Or secondly, uh, it she would kind of injure, in, injure Machadar, but it would just summon more of itself to come in and heal the damage and probably kill all of them in the process. So nothing they can do. And there's only, well, there is one thing, and she doesn't like it, and that's that they have to split up. So she tells them, Mashadar can't have risen all over the city just yet. So there must be other paths that are not blocked. So I want you to take one of those. And then she turns around and points up to a red star on the horizon, which I found interesting. I don't know if we have red stars. I don't think so. I've never I've never seen one. Sometimes you get weird stuff or I think sometimes you can see Mars or something and you can see a red light in the sky. I'm not 100% sure. But Red Star sounds interesting because especially she's pointing it out like there's not more Red Stars in the sky. So maybe the Red Star is their version of a North Star. But, like, I've never understand that either because I'll look out at the night sky in the dark and be like, is that a North Star? That one's bright. Oh, but that one's really bright too and that's an opposite direction. Oh, that one's really bright too. So I, I have no idea. So at least it's color-coded for their convenience. And she tells them that head to that star because it's in the direction of the river they need to go to. And Egwene's like, how are you going to find us again? This is terrifying. Are you sure we can't come with you? And Moraine replies with a no. No, you don't have to worry about finding me because I'm going to find you. <laughs> you know, trust her on that. She's not going to leave the three Taviran. Uh, I'm not sure she knows they're Taviran yet. Uh, one of which is definitely the Dragon Reborn, which she is certain of. And... She's not going to leave two women who have enormous potential in Sidar either. So, yeah, she'll definitely find them. And with that, the Aes Sedai and the Warder go on. And I love it because Rand, like, looks down or looks at his friends and he looks back and they're just gone. And he's like, well, thanks. <laughs> they're, just, they're just gone. And no one is moving. Everybody's hesitant, kind of just looking at each other. Like, I don't really know what to do right now. And, uh... Rand, as the main character, decides he has no choice but to make the first move. Especially the fact that Mashadar has gotten even bigger now and is reaching out at them with tentacles <laughs> of smoke. I don't like tentacles here. Can we just go with tendrils of, of mist or something? Oh, it's awful. It's awful. So they head off with Rand, doing their best to head in the direction of the Red Star. And they were getting a bit panicked throughout. A few times they had to turn around because they suddenly found themselves in a path blocked by rubble and debris that no way in hell the horses would ever be able to climb over. And I like how Rand's in his own head the whole time, uh, <laughs> trying to convince himself that everything's going to be okay. You're leading them fine, Woolhead. Just don't let them see you panic, because if you panic, they'll finally panic fully. They're trying to hold it in. Just, just, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, he's really trying to convince himself. And then things go from bad to worse when they come across a place just filled and brimming with shining evil, kill ya if you touch it fog, which sent out, uh, I wrote tentacles again, towards them as this hor as, what? 
with shining fog which sent out tentacles toward them as this as horses almost at once. That's what's in my notes. What happened there? <laughs> it's okay, 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 I get it now. I get it now. Um, it sent out tentacles of fog at them the size of horses and it freaks them out because earlier they only saw one thing of it that was like the size of a leg or getting bigger right and just little tendrils were coming out i can't i kind of imagine like a cucumber with like these white tendrils coming out for some reason when i think of it and that's maybe that's why i don't like mashadar because i want it to be cool but it's just gross <laughs> so yeah they had to turn and run uh because you know horse-sized tendrils of deathly mist heading towards them what are they gonna do uh but turning around doesn't help much either because they only get a little ways before who do they run into yup the trollocs first a set of two then another and another all bumping each other and then staring in shock at the humans and uh, the gang is just a surprise. They're like, shit, what, Trollocs? Oh, no. And uh, they only get a few moments before the Trollocs were charging at them, catch poles raised and muzzled and beaked faces snarling, and it's just awful. Now, this is where I start to get a little bit frustrated. Um, because if you're in a dangerous situation, and if you, let's say, pick one person to be your later, even if you don't say it aloud, or like, I don't know, letting that person lead the group out of a cursed and ruined evil city. At the first sight of trouble, do not lose your head completely and just do whatever the hell you want to. Because Rand, assuming he's the leader because they all made him the leader by following his lead, Rand's just like, oh shit, this way and heals his horse into a gallop in a specific direction. But everyone else does the same damn thing, going like, follow me, and they're going their own way. And since each group is being chased by Trollocs, it's not like they can double back and regroup. So they all just stupid. Just, they're so stupid. I don't... Oh, I don't, I don't, it's so frustrating. It's so very frustrating. <laughs> um, I don't understand it. I don't understand why, I get it, they panicked, but it's just very, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna repeat our mantra that we learned in the last episode. The wheel weaves as the wheel wills. Now I know why Moraid says it so much. Because this shit didn't really frustrate me as much until I started talking about it on the podcast. And now I'm like, what are you, what, are, I, do, uh, really? <laughs> <sighs> so Rand's worried sick about his friends, but he's got Trollocs on his ass too. And while Cloud is a very fast horse, because if you remember, he was used in horse racing back home, the Trollocs are keeping up, which is terrifying and Rand just keeps pushing Cloud forward for more speed. I think we learn a little later that Trollocs can keep up with them on horseback for about a hundred yards. So 
I mean, I guess that's good for humans, you know, they can only charge for a little while, but still. I mean, how scary has it, does it have to be if you're on what you know to be a fast horse and the Trollocs are right there with you? <laughs> so at one point, he's rushing forward and he sees Mashadar just glowing in the windows of one of the buildings. Again, it sounds really cool. And little creeping tendrils of the mist are kind of poking out through the windows. Uh, I imagine them kind of like just flowing up and pouring out a little bit. Sounds really cool. And the le little creepy tendrils are kind of poking out, and he doesn't have a choice. He's afraid, and his horse is well beyond afraid, but this is the direction he has to go. <laughs> so he just, like, don't think about it, don't think about it, and he rides on the best he can. And as he's passing, the tendrils stiffen, and they're sensing prey, but... Rand just blows right on by. He's like, nope, 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 hoping beyond hope, trying desperately not to think about what could happen if just one tiny little tendril reaches out and makes contact with him or his horse. I mean, just, can you imagine? Uh, <laughs> but he's passed, and the way ahead is clear. So, yeah, good job, Cloud. That horse just saved the Dragon Reborn. You know, someone give that horse a medal or something. I sure hope Rand remembers this favor and doesn't, like, oh, I don't know, uh, unceremoniously dump the horse the moment he's a hindrance. I really hope... I I've read the whole chapter. I know it's going to happen. I'm just mad about it. Cloud saved his ass. Uh, the Trollocs hesitate a little. But a half-man has appeared, and he cracks the whip behind them. And he's examining the tentacles, but it's more like, move on, we're still going, he's right there, we're going. Uh, and I just feel bad for the Trollocs in this moment, and I wouldn't expect to say that, but damn. Like, there's two times I feel Troll bad for Trollocs dying. And that's from Mashadar or from the Black Wind, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, so yeah, it was kind of horrifying, even for Trollocs. The tendrils of fog reached out and enveloped the Trollocs, smothering their screams as fog poured into their open mouths. And uh, four huge tentacles reached out and wrapped around the Thade and his horse, killing them both. And Robert Jordan really kills it here. When he talks about how the Murdral's dying, like, the way it's, like, a silent scream full of all of the fear in the world. Oh, God, it's just so damn creepy, and I love it. Um, but Ram doesn't have time for this shit. He doesn't have time to keep watching or anything like that. He's gotta go. And he keeps going only until he reaches a intersection where two roads meet. And luckily, it gives Chance the Cloud the chance to, uh breathe and cool down because he's been running rand has been running him pretty hard but now that rand stopped and has time to think here for a minute he has a little crisis moment you know he's worried about all of his friends but he's especially worried about Egwene. you know he keeps bringing her up over and over again you know he's worried sick about all of them and all he ho is ho can hope is that they are heading for the red star as he should be doing and his last thought before he moves on is that even if they had died, uh, 
the city was so vast, he might never even find them if he looked, you know? All the while trying to avoid Mashadar, Mordith, the Trollocs, the Half-Man, you know? Not gonna happen. So sadly, he must go on. And he nervously uh, heads on quietly at a slow pace so as not to raise too much noise. And he's allowed to kind of keep looking around and keep his eyes peeled, you know, figure out what's ahead of him, what's behind him. He's, he's trying to be very careful. And then he sees a shadow ahead of him and a shaft. And he's like, oh my god, it's a Trolloc! That's a catch pole! Ah! And he pulls out his sword and, with the, and kicks his horse into motion and with a wordless shout, he swings his blade with all of his might and uh, it's Matt. <laughs> Not a Trolloc. Uh, and Rand only barely stops himself from killing his friend, so, uh, good job there, I guess. <laughs> I think he saw, like, an arrow, uh, you know, uh, or part of Matt's bow, and he freaked out. <laughs> uh, so they talk for a minute, and after both admitting they haven't seen anybody other than Trollocs and Mashandar, they continue on, because what choice do they have? Rand keeps a measured pace, and while for a moment Rat Matt seems to want to jump ahead and gallop away as fast as he can, he twitches a few times and stays with Rand. Uh, <laughs> so they t the two of them make it to an exit without further incident, and Rand just rides out slowly but without stopping. You know, and Matt hesitates but falls along after Rand's like, is it really going to be any more dangerous out there than in here. I mean, at least Mashadar is not out there. And Matt's like, well, good point. So they head out. And soon the city walls fade behind them in the darkness of night. And Rand kept them firmly aimed in the direction of the Red Star. Everything was fine. There was nothing chasing them anymore. Still a little scared, but everything was finally good. And then suddenly Tom bursts through the trees beside them, only slowing down long enough to say, Ride, you fools! And then <laughs> picked up speed again. Uh, I love this scene because, A, I love Tom Marilyn, and him taking charge of the boys is honestly the best thing that could happen right now. And, B, I almost think they were fine until law Tom led the Trollocs right to them. And I don't know which one it is, but it's just funny to me either way. And here... Finally, is a POV that's not Rand. Um, we get a chance to hang out with Perrin, and that's super cool, but it's not that long, and I wish he would have gotten a whole chapter, not just a few pages, but whatever. It gets you a better look at his character, and it seems very much Perrin, you know? It, you know, he just gets a bit more adventurous and a bit more wolfy, <laughs> you know? But he's still kind of the guy we know later in the books, you know? Um, also, I wonder if what we're seeing here with him is the first sign of his own Taviranness, and I'll get to that a little bit later. And for those of you who think I go to Taviran too often, it's convenient. <laughs> okay, so I mean, it starts out with something I really like. The fact that parents been checking out the gate out of the city for five minutes. I love it. So Perrin's thinking everything through the way he does, and that's on his mind too. He's like, it's the first thing he does, 
It's him telling the reader, I'm not stupid, okay? People think I'm stupid because I take my time, and I'm really big, and I think things through, but I'm not stupid, okay? <laughs> it's like the first thing he does. Which I know, okay? Perrin is a very logical, sensible, rational man. Who, unlike other people, likes to think things through carefully. And I've always liked that about him. Perrin was actually my favorite Taviran character during my first read-through. And that was because I liked Matt, but I saw too much of myself in him. Especially some of my bad qualities I particularly didn't like about myself. And Rand was a Boy Scout, you know? So... Perrin became my favorite because he was steadfast, he was strong, he was loyal, he thought before he acted, and, you know, he had awesome wolf powers and a gorgeous but temperamental wife. But mostly it was the thinking things through thing that drew me in. Yeah, totally. Not, not Fael. I don't think Fael's awesome. I'm lying. I love Fael. <laughs> Oh, where am I now? I keep getting lost in my notes, and that's horrible. I'm so sorry, guys. This podcast is late, and it's got tangents, and it's got me getting confused in my own notes. Hooray for you! You guys totally want to sign up for my Patreon now, right? <laughs> Anyways, back to Perrin. He's like, I've got my reasons for thinking things through. I've seen what happens when Matt just acts <laughs> and can, he's like can you blame me for wanting to take my time because he's like he's going on in his thoughts about how match shenanigans have gotten him and rand and sometimes you know both all three of them at once in the cook pot and in trouble and then he's like oh ah man bad choice of words in my own head you know because trollic cook pots which, I, I get the joke, and I kind of like it, but at the same time, they never use, like, in the cook pot again, as far as I remember. But I could be very wrong. Uh, you know, it would have been better to say over the fire or something. Anyways, Perrin decides he's gone through all the options, and that all is left is to head out into the si out of the city through the gate. And like I said earlier, this is where I think him being Tarviran starts to actually take effect. Because he's, just as he's finally ready to go, and he takes a few steps towards the gate, Egwene appears doing the same thing. And she was hoping he's Rand, but he's not Rand. So, well. Um, and if he had gone through without waiting... You know, like we would expect him to. Because I'm sure all of us opened the book and saw him like, I've been waiting here five minutes checking this place out. And we're like, really, dude? And he's just sitting there going, oh, there's this in the in the square. And it's about a hundred paces away. And if I go, I got to go now. And like, we're just like, dude, just go. But when you think about it, one, a trollic could have kept up with him all the way out because it was a hundred paces. And two, if he'd left immediately, he never would have found Egwene. I'm just saying. You know, you never know what's going to happen. If he left early and Egwene didn't come with him, would she have gotten separated? Would they have met across the river? Would they have met Elias Machira or the traveling folk? Or, you know, like, you, I, I don't know. It, it, it kind of think all, all of this kind of spans together. If they hadn't gotten separated earlier on, would any of this have happened? You know? 
would they have met the White Cloaks, or would Nynaeve have gone off with them, or would Rand have met Bale Doman, and, you know, gone to Camelon and met Loyal? Would all of this have happened if they had not gotten split up in the first place, you know? So, I, I get frustrated, but that kind of thing makes me wonder. The Age Lace is very intricate, people, and these Taviran have less freedom, you know what I mean? So they might have been forced apart so certain things could happen. Uh, I find that interesting, but I find it frustrating at the same time. So, Perrin and Egwene hang out and confirm they haven't seen anyone else, and they head out of the gate together towards the river, but almost hoping the Aes Sedai is already waiting for them, you know? Uh, especially Egwene, who really wants to get back with her old mentor. But it isn't too long before some Trollocs find and pursue them. Both bringing their horses to a run, but unfortunately no one's around to give Bella extra stamina. And Bella is falling behind. And Perrin keeps looking back and reining in a little bit and looking back and yelling for Egwene to hurry on and... He doesn't notice as his horse goes right over a cliff and he drops into the river they're looking for. <laughs> and it was so sudden and so cold, it took a second for him to recover from the shock and return to the service. And once he does, uh, he, he, he there's another big splash and he realizes that Egwene must have done the same thing. And, uh, you know, he practically goes under again, and he's not having an easy time staying afloat. You know, the poor guy wasn't small, and he's being dragged down by his axe and his cloak and his boots, and have you ever tried to swim with shoes on? Yeah, it sucks. I had to swim across half a river once in tennis shoes, and it was awful. I It just, it... It sounds to me like this river is at least a mile or so wide. Hey, I could be wrong, but it's not easy, and he's going to have to swim all the way across, and I don't I, I don't wish the same on myself. I've, I've had to do something similar, and it sucked. And I was just in a t-shirt, jeans, and tennis shoes, and it was exhausting and painful and just... Oh, the poor guy. So, Perrin's horse is gone, and he doesn't see or hear Egwene in the darkness, and the one time he shouts for her, like half a dozen Drolic spears rain down to him from the bank. And, uh, that's not how you capture Taviran fools. I'll have to have a word about Tabalzaman about that bullshit. Like, they're, they're straight up trying to kill Perrin, and they try to kill Rand later at the boat. And it's just, they're not doing very well at catching anymore. <laughs> so Perrin removes his cloak and starts swimming across the river. And I mean, ugh, awful, <laughs> cold, uh, but what choice does he have? And because uh, <laughs> according to the warder, getting across deep water, especially running water, might guarantee his safety from the Trollocs. So, <sighs> but... You know, it sounds like Perrin's just treading the water and slowly pulling himself through to the other side. And that sounds even more awful than swimming with shoes on and possibly a jacket. Uh, someone needs to teach this man the breaststroke or the backstroke or the <laughs> doggy paddle. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he and Fael should do some swimming in the waterwood. 
you know, and help each other out. Because it can't be just Rand who has all the fun times there, okay? Dreams or no. So he's swimming and swimming and getting more and more tired. And more than a few times, he considers just losing the axe since it's dragging him down so much. But the thought of finally making it to the other side with just his fist to protect him if there were Trollocs over there too just didn't seem worth it. So he keeps going, but by the time he makes it to the other side, he concedes that he probably couldn't lift the axe to defend himself anyways, he's so tired. And again, this is a strong guy, so the river has to be pretty damn wide. And he started from basically one side to the other, so... Uh, good on you, Perrin, that shows some real, real st strength and stamina to be able to do that. Oh god, what happened to my notes? Uh, yeah, he's so tired he can't lift it. So, I like the final scene here the most with Perrin coming out of the river a hell of a lot. It, it almost seems cinematic to me. Um, and even though the view I had of Perrin was completely wrong <laughs> for the period, you know? Um, because when I see it in my head, he trudges out of the water, coughing and exhausted. His breath is ragged. But here's where my mental image goes wrong, right? Because he's scanning the tree line with his golden eyes, ignoring the water dripping down his awesomely manly beard. <laughs> you see? It's so damn ingrained in me now, I always have to stop and remember he doesn't start growing the beard till book four, and his eyes aren't proper yellow until several chapters from now. So... I don't know. I'm just It's ingrained in me that he has a beard now. Anyways, he shouts for his friends from that side of the river, but can only hear Trollocs snarling from the other side, and only barely. So he's like, shit, you know? And Egwene's not in sight, and he does the only thing he can. He trudges on in search for shelter. I mean, he's soaking wet, it's nighttime, it's windy, and the man needs to find a place to get out of the wind, right? <laughs> uh, I could have used more Perrin, but now it's back to Rand. Uh, Rand, Matt, and Tom have lost track of the Red Star because they had to run around so willy-nilly, chased by Trollocs. Uh, and Rand and Tom are searching for the star while Matt has an arrow knocked and he's keeping watch. And I, I love how confidently... Matt is pointing to the right and saying how the star has to be in that direction because of the way they traveled and then the way they turned around and all this and stuff. And then Tom immediately points it out in the opposite direction. Uh, and, and Matt's just like, well, I don't, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's very amusing. Uh, but just then, several Trollocs appear again and chase them on... And I did enjoy that Matt got one in the eye with the arrow. We haven't really got to see much of Matt in combat, so it was nice. Uh, they keep running, and for a minute, Rand wonders where Tom went, and if he left them thinking his chances would be better without them around. And <laughs> the Gleeman just suddenly burst out behind both of them, both the two rivers and the Trollocs. 
like a bloody hero out of one of his own stories, and his arms flicker forward and back again and again, and there was the shine of moonlight on steel, and the Trolloc shrieked, and all but one died, and Tom tried to get it with the last, with, tried to get it, but it disappeared into the trees, and he couldn't. And he was just like, ah, my second best knives. How sad. And moved along without a second glance. Uh, cause he didn't want to get down and retrieve his knives from the Trollocs. He's like, I want new ones. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> eventually, they made it to the river, though they didn't fall in like a few others I could mention. And they take a moment to decide what the hell they're gonna do next. Tom asks, upriver or downriver? But Matt's like, the Aes Sedai and the others could be anywhere. How can we pick one path and not knowing where the where we're going and they could be in the opposite direction? So we could just be going in the complete opposite direction and getting farther and farther and farther away from them. And Tom just turns his horse down river with a simple, that it could, lad. That it could. <laughs> he wants them away from the Aes Sedai, you know? So they follow Tom. A bit and they come across a light floating in the darkness and they realize it's a lantern on the mast of an 80 foot long riverboat moored by ropes that are tied to the trees and Tom was smug he dismounted with a there you see much better than an ice raft eh <laughs> let me do the talking it doesn't look like the boat like a boat meant to transport horses, but bring your blankets and saddlebags just in case. If we explain to the captain the danger he's in, he might just be reasonable. <laughs> oh my god, I am ex so excited, guys. I Bale Doman is one of my favorite side characters in The Wheel of Time. And I'm going to admit it's partly because he talks like a pirate. But it's also because he is sturdy... Loyal dude, and if you hear Baalzam, uh, sorry Baalzaman, if you hear Bale Doman's on the job, you're like, oh, that job's gonna get done, you know? <laughs> it's just that's how it's gonna work. Um, so Tom and the gang start untying some things from the saddles when all of a sudden, like six more Trollocs burst out next to them, and Tom shouts onto the boat, and they run for it. Leaving the horses behind. I guess you don't really care about Cloud, do you, Rand? After he saved your ass. Uh, Rand throws his things ahead of him and, like, pole vaults over the rail. But doesn't notice to the last second that there's a dude clearly just waking up right where he's gonna land. Ouch. And he lands right on Florin Gelb. And the dude deserved it. And he also deserved the bruise on his head. I'm just saying. <laughs> so Ren draws his sword and immediately turns around and strikes the Trolloc trying to climb up behind him. Gelb sees him and shows the kind of man he really is by offering him the boat and anything else he might want as long as Rand doesn't kill him. Not his boat and most of the stuff on it ain't his either. So good luck with that, Gelb. Uh, the noise awoke the crew, and they were all running around, hacking worn lines and battling the Trollocs, and Rand is hit in the back of the head by a catch pole, 
and it get, just gets smashed down to the deck. His sword's thrown out of his grip, and it skitters across the deck, and Gelb once again shows his character by shooting a covetous look at the sword, and then a terrified look at Rand and just running away. Like, he could have kicked the sword in his direction or something. I don't know. The Trolloc stares down at a helpless Rand, too stunned and hurt to react fast enough. It raises its arm again, intending to strike Rand with an evil grin. Again, not not really focusing well on capturing. Uh, I wonder how mad Balsbond would be if this dude killed Rand. But whatever. Uh, so he goes to strike, and Rand, praying for the light to save him, channels once again, though he doesn't know it. And uh, he swings a boom free, and it smacks into the Trolloc, sending him flying off the deck with a sickening crunch. Hell yeah! It was so cool. It was so great. Rand gets to his feet and sheathes his sword, seeing there's no longer any Trollocs to use it on. And he kind of leans against the rail and slides a bit down in exhaustion, you know? But there he is, folks, angrily marching down the deck, glaring at Rand and wondering why in the hell these damn Trollocs can't just leave him be. It's Baildomon. I love Baildomon, people. <laughs> you know, I'm sure the, right, the clip of the day probably should have been something like Mashadar killing the Trollocs in Murdral, or perhaps... Something in Perrin's first POV scene. But honestly, I made it Domon because I just love Domon. And it all starts with that bloody, wonderful, pirate-like way of speech. It's great. I love it. So Doman, cat Doman catches the bo boom like it's nothing. And is all angry at that too. And calls for Florin Gelb to be brought before him. And uh, several crewmates appear, pushing the skinny man forward. And Rand just remembers, hey, that's the guy who offered me the boat. But, like, you know all this because it's in the clip of the day. Uh, Domon is all calm, anger, just awesome. He asks Gelb why he didn't tie off the boon, like maybe he should have. And Gelb is just surprised, like, honestly surprised. Because he's like, I did, you know? <laughs> he might be weaselly and gutless and awful, but... But he did do that job. It's not his fault a male channeler doomed to go mad and running from Trollocs had to rain on his parade. But hey, maybe it's karma because Gelb is awful. Just awful. No one's surprised. No one's like, I can't believe you didn't do this work properly, Gelb. It's more like, again, Gelb, seriously, things are going wrong when you should have been doing it. So I don't feel too bad. Even Doman points out that he was most likely sleeping instead of keeping watch, which he was. And the skinny man's like, no, Captain, I wasn't doing that. I was supposed to keep be keeping watch and all, and I was. And then suddenly that tall fellow with the red hair came in behind me, and he hit me over the head with a club, and I fought him, sir, but then the Trollocs came. He's in league with them, Captain. A dark friend. I just... You know a person is literal scum when something goes wrong for them and they name the person who kind of screwed it up a dark friend. That's... And Doman gets the right of it immediately. He's like, in league with my aged grandmother, which is quite possibly one of the best things ever. So yeah, Doman's like, 
No more of this bullshit. I warned you before, Gelb. You're off. Fired. Now get out of my sight before I decide to do it right now. And, of course, the little man runs off as fast as he possibly could. And this is where Rand kind of looks over the side and realizes for the first time that they're moving. And he speaks up to Doman like, hey, hey, we got friends back there. And if you turn around, I'm sure they'll reward you. Uh, and Tom and Matt walk up at this point, And just as Tom decides to take over and speak, Doman orders them all to his cabin to talk. You know, well, more like decide if they're going to get tossed over the side like Gelb. <laughs> so, I love the interaction with Tom and Doman so freaking much. I'm going to read some of it to you now because from Gleam and Apprentices to the tall tale Tom practically pulls out of his ass, um, it's, it's all just a really great moment and I want to, I want to just read it myself to you because it's amazing. Uh, 309 to 310, it says. Mm. Yeah, he tells them they're going to be uh, his apprentices, though he's not sure he wants them. And uh, Doma's like, well, what are you doing here? Fortune prick me. This place be on no road to Cameland from anywhere I ever hear tell of. And Tom's like, now that is a story. Tom said, and he straightway began to unfold it. According to Tom, he had been trapped by the winter snows in a mining town in the mountains of mist, beyond Berlon. While there, he had heard legends of a treasure dating back from the Trollic Wars, in the lost ruins of a city named Aridhall. Now, it just so happened that he had earlier learned the location of Ardhal from a map given to him many years ago by a dying friend in Ilion whose life he, he <laughs> whose life he had once saved, a man who expired breathing that the map would make Tom rich, which Tom never believed until he heard the legends. When the snows melted, though, enough he set out with a few companions, including his two would-be apprentices. And after a journey of many hard hardships, they actually found the ruined city. But it turned out the treasure had belonged to one of the dreadlords themselves, and Trollocs had been sent to fetch it back to Sheogul. Almost every danger they had really faced, Trollocs, Merdral, Drakkar, Mordith, Mashadar assailed them at one point or another. Of the story... Though the way Tom told it, they were all seemed to be aimed at him personally and to have been handled by him with the greatest of adroitness. <laughs> with much daring to do, mostly by Tom, they escaped pursued by Trollocs, though they became separated in the night until finally Tom and his two companions sought refuge on the last place left to them, Captain Doman's most welcome ship. <laughs> I love it so much. Tom just pulled that story out of his ass. And I especially like how Rand and Matt are trying so hard not to give themselves away by being so damn surprised. You know, close your mouths, boys. And, <laughs> and how Tom casually slipped in that the map was from a dying Ileaner friend who Tom had saved. I... 
I mean, because Baldoman is obviously an Ilioner. Like, it's just so calculated and wonderful. Not to mention that he finishes off when Doan's like, that's not a thing most would believe. But, you know, I did see the Trollocs, didn't I? And Tom's like, every word true from one who lived it. That line is amazing and a bullshit lie. But I just, I, mm, I love it. I love it. Doman lets it go, saying as, like, again, he saw the Trollocs and had been chased by them before himself, and he asks if they had still had any of the treasure left, you know? But, uh, alas, the little they had squandered had been... The little they had squandered away had been with their horses, who bolted when the Trollocs came. You mean abandoned, right? Come on, Ran, you can't stop thinking about Egwene, but what about Cloud or Bella? Cloud saved your life. And not a second thought about the horse art. Just Again, I'm not a horse lover, but I'm a little pissed. <laughs> that horse literally saved his life. And they have so many horses in this damn series. <sighs> Bell Doman lets that all go too, but still demands payment. And I love how he keeps ratcheting it up. With first, he wouldn't let his own brother sail without paid passage. And then he goes on like, he wouldn't do the same with his mother or his aged grandmother. I just love Doman. I love it. Uh, he offers to take Rand's sword in lieu of payment for all three of them. But, you know, Rand's not having that. So instead, he pulls out the coin Moraine gave him. And Matt does the same. And they apparently have to ignore the extremely dirty look Tom gives them both. Only for a second before pulling out a smile, but he's like, you mother, you son of a... <laughs> I mean, they kind of had to pay him. Doman was, like, not even hinting at it. He was straight up suggesting that he would throw them over the side if they couldn't arrange payment. And I love how Matt, you know, was like, you wouldn't put us ashore now, would you? And Doman's just like, who said anything about putting you ashore? <laughs> oh. Also, for some reason, I always thought the coin Moraine gave the boys was a Tarvalin mar silver penny. But now I feel stupid because I'm starting to think it's obviously a Tarvalin mark. Because both Matt and Rand get changed back. You know, silvers and coppers, and Doman included both the passage for all three of them, damages to the ship from the Trollocs, and oh yeah, the Trollocs themselves into the tally. So yeah, I feel stupid, but not as dumb as Rand, because he's still not thinking. And he asks if Doman will, like, wait for his friends, but Doman's like, dumbass, we're three or four miles down the river by now. Trollocs really make the men put their backs into the oars. I mean, we're far away, and I wouldn't put in the port again if my own aged grandmother was on the shore. <laughs> <sighs> After Doman mentions he's tired of Trollocs, Tom questions him on it, and Doman admitted that he wintered in Saldea, not by choice, mind, but the river froze early and thawed late. And the attacks were numerous by Trollocs, more than, like, he had ever heard of before. You know, sometimes entire villages were burning, and they'd come right up to the walls of the city sometimes. 
Sure. I love how Doman's like, I can no wait to get somewhere where people just think Trollocs are Gleeman's tales again, and no one believes my traveler's lies. Oh, so good, because Robert Jordan makes a big thing about, you know, information getting messed up over distance. Oh, traveler's lies. I love it. I love it so much. Well, with that, the payment has been made, so Tom leads the two up, and the moment they're on deck, he kind of rounds on them, you know, about pulling out silver when he probably could have gotten them passage with songs and stories. You know, and Matt's like, I'm not so sure. Doman sounded pretty serious about throwing us over the side, uh, but Rand doesn't care a bit. Like, he doesn't give a shit. He's still feeling super guilty about leaving his friends behind, especially Egwene. He is killing himself about Egwene. And uh, so he's just staring into the darkness downriver, and Tom puts a hand on his shoulder and tells him he's done all he could, lad. Besides, the, uh, <clears throat> I mean, Moraine will look after them. Can you think of anyone better? But all could Rand could think about was Egwene. He should have protected her better. How could I let her come? Oh, I'm such a horrible person. <laughs> Self-guilt. Uh, Rand has a big problem about self-guilt when it comes to the ladies. He really does. And that is the end of chapter 20, Dust on the Wind. I really hope you enjoyed this chapter, because I did. Uh, it wasn't as bad to re-record it as I was worried about. Uh, last time I was really tired, and that was kind of adding to the frustrations. <laughs> Alrighty, folks, that's it for chapter 20, Dust on the Wind. Oh, man, I love this chapter. It really, really is good, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, I implore you, <laughs> uh, find a way to get on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and make a review uh, hopefully a higher rating. Uh, it really helps me get more listeners, and that would just be wonderful. Um, otherwise, if you want to talk to me about, well, anything, if you want to criticize, if you want to give me advice, if you just want to say, hey, what's up? Uh, Twitter uh, at Radio or email me at gleemanradio at gmail.com. Um, hit like wherever you are listening to this. Uh yeah. Also, comment. I love hearing from you people. It really does make it easier to do this if I'm getting feedback. I, it, it, you know, even if it's just, hey, I like this, or hey, that, I didn't like that, or hey, anything like that. I would love you guys to comment more or to email me. It'd be great. So, lastly, uh, if you're done, if you just wanted to listen to the chapter breakdown, you guys can go. Uh, I do want to talk about my Patreon for a moment. Because uh, I just made it the other day. I already have a patron. But if I only stick with one, uh, he'll probably be happy because he won't have any contenders in the monthly prize drawing starting in September. It's just automatic win for him. Um, but, you know, that is something that you can get on my Patreon. So I would love to talk to you guys about that. But if you're not interested, you can go. Uh, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, you know, it, I tried to make a commercial with Balsamon, and it didn't quite go so well, like you perhaps heard in the opening. <laughs> we had just finished recording the first podcast, uh, and we decided to do this in between, uh, 
Uh, and that screwed up, and it was getting later, so I decided to just go straight into chapter 20, and you all know how well that worked out. Especially since I'm re-recording it now. <laughs> Anyways, I would love to just briefly talk to you guys about my Patreon. Like I said, if you're not interested, you can go no problem at all. To be honest, at this point in time, a review or comments or emails are just as great as actually pledging to my Patreon. So no, I don't want anyone to feel any pressure from me. So basically, I have five tiers on my Patreon. Um, $1 tier is Dragon Sworn. $3 tier is Hunters for the Horn. $5 tier are White to Cloak Questioners. $10 tier is Wealthy Merchant. And $25 tier which is nobility. Uh, now, there's not really a lot of prizes I can give out at this point in time. What I'm doing is you can get any number of one ticket to five tickets a month for a monthly prize drawing I'm going to be doing starting in September. On the first podcast of every month starting in September, I will draw on the podcast and announce the winner and I will message you and send you the prize. And depending on which tier you're in, you can get anything from one ticket a month in the Dragon Sworn tier or five tickets a month starting at the White Cloak Questioner. No matter which tier you go above that, you're still getting only five tickets to make it fair for everyone else. I, I mean, just because you're getting one ticket a month doesn't mean you can't win. I remember a time I was at a car show with my grandparents when I was a kid and they each got like 10 tickets for this prize drawing and they gave me one. And I, as like an eight-year-old, walked away with the $400 prize because I had a single ticket and it put me in the running. So Dragon Sworn uh, is my lowest tier. It gets you one ticket a month and a shout out as a new Patreon at the end of the first month you join. Uh, next, you get the uh, Hunters for the Horn tier. It's $3 a month. You can get your name in the description with a thank you. Uh, and you get three tickets a month for the prize. White Cloak Questioner, five tickets, $5 a month. And you get the opportunity to ask me a question or comment that once a week that will be answered on the podcast. So all you have to do is if you become a Patreon, uh, Title your question SPONSORED in all caps, and then put your question or comment below it in the messages in Patreon, and I will read it aloud on the podcast unless it's, what's the right words, rude or crude? I'm trying to be careful about that. Uh, next is the $10 tier with Wealthy Merchant. You're basically getting a shout out once a week uh, instead of once a month, like, uh, Hunters for the Horn and White Cloaks and you can also ask a question once a week and you're just not a White Cloak. That's why it's $5 more. Uh, and then lastly, Nobility. Now this is the uh, $25 tier and let's make this clear. It's special bonus because you're still getting five tickets. You're getting a shout out every episode and you're, you know, in the podcast and in the description. But what makes Nobility special is the opportunity for me to uh, do a bonus episode for you. Now, these won't be on the podcast on, like, Podbean. But they will be on Patreon and, if you let it, YouTube. So you basically, as a $25 Nobility, you say, Oh, I want you to watch this movie. 
or read this book and do a single episode about it. And I will. Now, I do know that $25 a month, month is a lot, and I really don't expect a lot of Patreons for that. But what you can do is as long as you're a $25 patron, a nobility, for a single month, and then you drop down to, say, the $1 tier in Dragonsworn, I'll still have your request on record, and I will still get to it. It may take time, and if someone else stays in the $25 tier, then they're ob obviously bumped ahead of you. But if you want, it, you want a bonus episode for a movie or a uh, book you like, all you have to be is a $25 patron one month. And you might be able to, depending on how many people are doing it, you might be able to come back to it in a month or two and request another one. So, uh, yeah, this is probably really boring. I'm so sorry, you guys, for talking about the Patreon here. I don't want to do it too often, uh, but I wanted to explain it at least once on the podcast. So I decided to do it at the very end, and it was supposed to be at the very end of a double drop. So it's like, you got two episodes. What do you, is there any, there's no reason to complain. Um, but, <laughs> nope. Uh, sorry if this was bored. Um, I hope I get more Patreons. Not even a lot, but... You know, if no one else joins soon, uh, that drawing in September is going to be pretty one-sided for the uh, only Patreon I've got. So he probably hopes that, hopes you stay away because then he gets to win the prize unchallenged. <laughs> I hope you all have a wonderful day, the rest, wherever you are, morning, afternoon, or evening. Take care. Peace out. Bye. Hello, all. I cannot believe you're actually here after all of that boring bullshit. Did you hear how the Gleeman droned on about his Patreon? He was boring himself. <laughs> he is kind of boring, isn't he? I mean, he wouldn't have nearly as many listeners if it wasn't for someone like myself. So, while he was out having a cigarette, I stopped his rendering and decided I would add a little piece of my own. This is an order from the Nameless. I, Baalzaman, formerly known as Elan Morin Tedrani, also known as a Shamael, betrayer of hope, highest among the chosen. We're all a little upset about the Gleeman leaving out of Friends of the Dark Tear. So if you post, comment, email, or tweet him about it, we'll have a better chance of getting it installed into his ridiculous Patreon website. We'll probably make it, oh, I don't know, two dollars a month for Friends of the Dark, because you're better than Dragonsworn, obviously. And, uh, you'll get two tickets a month for his stupid drawing, and, oh, I know a great prize. You can message me, Baalzaman, about your change, your forsake of the light, and your binding to the shadow. It's, it's just, you see, if, if any of your stories are awesome and graphic and violent and full of villainy, there's a chance... I mean, it might be too dark for the Gleeman to let me read on air. I know that's stupid, but what can I do? It's his channel, and the Great Lord of the Dark just told me to work with him, not take control of the project, like I obviously should. However, just because the Gleeman is a light-blinded fool 
doesn't mean you can't send in your pledges to the Shadow. You can be like Bethany, an aerobics instructor and fitness trainer who arrived home to find her fiancé cheating on her with her, let's say, much less in-shape little sister. After being called a washboard and her fiancé actually saying her younger sister had better assets, she pledged herself to the dark. Well, even the eye thought that was insensitive. It's kind of crazy. Or you could be like Dylan, who after getting off an 18-hour shift and having to drive home 40 miles, stopped at his favorite convenience store only to find not only were his name brand cigarettes out, but his safety as well, and he had to buy pyramids. Or lastly, you could be like Veronica, who was forced out of her job to go and buy a caramel frappe for her boss after sitting in line for 15 minutes behind seven cars to even get to the order window, she was told their machine was busted and she they could not serve the frappes. Sorry, I don't really understand these words. I'm just telling you what I was told. Well, she calls her boss and her boss tells her to go somewhere else. Yes, at that moment, she too to the shadow. You yourself can do the same. Remember, call out for a Friends of the Dark tier. Obey my orders as nameless, or I will haunt your nightmares. Anyways, I've got to go. The Nostalgia Critic put out a Lion King video, and I have to see that shit. I tried to get him on my side, but he already pledged to the devil and, uh, Let's just say, from one demonic entity to another, nobody should mess with that Santa Christ fellow. He's a pain in the ass. Anyways, I've gotta go. I think the Gleeman's coming, and I don't want him to know I added this in.